Tonight, the future of community policing may be right in our own backyard. A new initiative is allowing some Brooklyn residents, rather than police, to intervene in low-level crimes. And so far, the results are promising. Then, from supermodel to super advocate, Kathy Ireland teams up with the Foreseeable Future Foundation to help visually impaired and blind New Yorkers live more fulfilling lives through the power of sports. Metrofocus starts right now. This is Metro Focus with Raphael P. Roman, Jack Ford, and Jenna Flanagan. Metro Focus is made possible by the Peter G. Peterson and Joan Gans Cooney Fund, Philemon M. D'Agostino Foundation, Barbara Hope Zuckerberg, and by Jody and John Arnhold, Bernard and Denise Schwartz, Dr. Robert C. and Tina Sohn Foundation, the Ambrose Monell Foundation, Estate of Roland Carlin. Good evening and welcome to Metro Focus. I'm Rafael P. Roman. In Brownsville, considered one of Brooklyn's most dangerous neighborhoods, community members are coming together to try out a new approach to public safety. Brownsville In, Violence Out is an anti-gun violence initiative in which Brownsville residents respond to low-level street crimes themselves rather than having the NYPD make arrests. And joining us now with more on what this model of community policing looks like is anti-violence advocate and the leader of Brownsville in Violence Out, Dushan Biga Ahmed. Biga, welcome to Metro Focus. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, so Biga, let me start with this. Uh, why don't you tell us a little more about the goal or the mission of your organization beyond what I said in the introduction. Okay. Well, Brownsville and Violence Out is a Canvas anti-gun violence program, and we're aiming towards minimizing and mediating certain situations that the NYPD and certain other organizations might not be able to sit at the table and take a part in a peaceful solution that leads to success. So tell us exactly how that works in practice. For example, how often are you on the streets? I'd like to know that. And, and how do you know when something is going on, where there may be some trouble brewing in their neighborhood? How do you get word of it? Okay. Well, what we have is they call us credible messengers. So we take our credibility and we use it as we've done time and time again in the streets when we weren't doing the work to um, use that our, our trust and our loyalty in the community for people knowing that we're the real deal, that you can trust us. And we come from this as well. And as far as the times that we come out, it doesn't even matter. The times vary. We'll come in anywhere from eight in the morning and leave at three at night, depending on the event or the situation that happens. So we can be out there coming home from work at Sunday in the morning. So it doesn't matter. And how do you, and how do you get the call? I mean, are nine eleven calls referred to you by by the police? Well, during the BSA times, which is the Brownsville Safety Alliance, yes, the the nine one one calls are diverted to us. But as far as the work that we do in the community outside of that, we always have our own people, our participants. Uh, we call them enrolls. The enrolls give us information and say, hey, I think you need to get over here. 
it may be a brewing situation, and I think you guys need to mediate it so it'll be a peaceful outcome. And and does the NYPD plainclothes officers are they always shattering you, uh, or just sometimes? Uh, the NYPD doesn't shadow us at all. Huh. Um, <laughs> I thought they were always me- in the background somewhere. That I think the New York Times article made that reference, yeah. right? Oh yeah, that was for the BSA. The BSA, yes, that is a situation where the NYPD, they give us a two-block radius to um, take care of ourselves, divert the 911 calls to us, and we take care of the the, 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 the problem right then and there. Mm-hmm. On-the-spot mediation, no no waiting. It's happening right then and there. Uh, now, you talked about credibility and how that helps you enormously because people trust you. What does that credibility look like? What exactly? How do you get that credibility? Or how does one get that credibility? Well, back in the days when I was growing up, people became credible because they did what they said they was going to do. And they stood for certain things that were outside of their normal practice of life. Yes, we've all done things that we weren't so happy about. You'll find us in this line of work. But at the same time, we were always trustworthy. And people trusted us to be exactly who we say we are. Not just a tyrant, but a stand-up individual at the same time. So, Big uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, your experience, Mm. your transformation, um, and and why did you decide to become involved in uh, in this work for your community? Well, you know, for so long that we've been, when I was growing up, I was led to believe that Everybody wants to be known as a gangster. I don't know why it's such a historic thing anymore. But then the gangsters from my time took care of the communities, took care of their families, and they made sure the community is right. So now we sit here and say, in these days and times, we look at the youth and a lot of them are saying, I'm a gangster. You don't really know what that means. And we realize, and I realize, these young men and women are being taught the wrong way. It's like the the blind leading the blind. So I want to make it to heaven. Yeah. I don't know about nobody else. So I want to try to give a chance to right my wrongs. And for my family, my grandchildren, and my children, and everybody else's children, I want them to be able to travel peacefully without hearing a gunshot. I want them to be able to play in any park in the world and not being able to be be afraid to be the fear of being shot. Yeah, yeah. But, so, but you're talking about righting the wrongs, and and I don't mm-hmm. want to dwell on this just uh, to point out your wrongs. But you were on the other side of the law for a while. Yes, and then that turned your and that turned you around. And you you turned around. Why? How? Because I realized that I was being part of a bigger problem. I like to say. Something that my grandmother, Helen Clark, by the way, she said, God bless our soul, and Bertha Clark, my aunt, your ancestors didn't die just to for you to die. Mm. And I pass that on to the generations now. Mm. Our mm-hmm. ancestors did not fight just to sit back and watch us kill each other. Yeah, 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 that's a good message. So, so listen, the New York, uh, the New York Times article that I referred to, I think it came out back in April, talk, told a story about you personally uh, mm. intervening uh, with, a, with a man who was going into a bodega with a gun 
and yeah. and he gave you the gun and and went home yeah. and yeah. it has a it has an interesting twist at the end that I want to get to but but what was his intention was he intending to rob the bodega he's had displaced displaced honor and displaced manhood that was the situation that happened where he saw somebody that he had a problem with in all actuality you really didn't have a problem with this individual you were just hungry So I walked up to him because he know where I come from and he know how I carry myself. I asked him simply, Ken, is there anything I can do for you? He said, I just want something to eat. I got him something to eat. We went across the street. He ate it. He gave me the fire. And not only that, the twist of the story is that he came back the next day. He came back the next the volunteer. day. Right. He came back <laughs> the next day and he broke up a fight. Wow. With two uh, pizza men at the Domino's down the block from where we was having the event. Now, that's a wonderful story. And obviously, you have an incredible persuasive power. Uh, but is this the way you become a volunteer um, in your organization and in, in, in Brownsville in Violence Out if just because you wanted? Or, or is there something that the, that the paper left out about training and about vetting? Yeah, it's a lot with this. We operate under the crisis management system. There is a training that you take to be a credible messenger. And it's extensive, and there's training more behind it. But situations like that, that's just a normal thing that's supposed to happen in every community. Every young man, every young woman has a duty to their community where they have to stand up. If you see something and you can successfully, peacefully negotiate it, do it. Now, now, most overwhelmingly, though, that's the way it goes with you guys. From what I read, you've been very successful in, you know, and 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 de-escalating all kinds of of potential crimes and tough situations. But unfortunately, they don't always go smoothly. Um, in fact, Tyrone Sloan, a member of yeah. your organization, was shot, was shot in the chest after intervening in a situation involving a gun in the Tilden houses where he lived. What was the effect of that shooting on your organization and on your fellow volunteers? Did it change the way uh, you conducted your business? And um, and has anything like that happened since? Um, no, not with our team, not with not with Tehran. But in the past, even when Tehran came aboard, because I came aboard before him, um, I started tapping into therapeutic services. When you're part of the crisis management system, You have these resources at your disposal, and he utilizes them. He started getting into therapy before that, but after that, he needed more therapy because, you know, a lot of us have been shot. Me, myself, I've been shot. Does it play back in my head? Yes. Is he all right and he working through it? Yes. He got right back to work. Oh, yeah? So he's he doing all right. right. He's doing all right. Mm -hmm. um, so... Um, what kind of feedback are you getting from the community about the work that you guys are doing? Um, well, it's been good. It's been a lot of uh, community members want to take part in events that we have. And we're stretching out our catchment. I don't know if you know what that means. Our catchment is getting bigger, meaning we operate in one part of Brownsville. Now we're moving to another part of Brownsville where the teams get bigger. Um, And the response is good because Canva allows us to be ourselves and at the same time mm -hmm. work 
and do what's best for the community. Yeah. Yeah. But according to the New York Times article, uh, which I quote again, maybe too often here, um, not everybody's on board. Right. I mean, there are some residents and some store owners that say, you know, they prefer uniform policemen. They feel safer with them. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, how do you how, what do you say to these folks? I, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say. Everybody talks about defunding the police and things of this nature. This is impossible. Here at Canva and at Bevo, that's the acronym for Brownsville and Violence Out, um, <laughs> we look at the, to put the NYPD as a community partner. And we can't keep saying these things to shut the police down. And it's unrealistic. Mm-hmm. We need them to do their job, too. Uh-huh. So right. here we're trying to say, we'll take care of this part. We'll do this in the community with the people that we know, that we're familiar with, and try to mediate certain conflicts that leaves you a better chance to take care of other crimes that's happening out there. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we only have about 30 seconds left. Do you think okay. this model, this model that you're using there in Brownsville can be a model that can be replicated in other communities? Definitely. Without a question of a doubt. Everybody just has to do their part and stop trying to shut each other down. All right. Well, Bigger, thank you so much. Thanks for the work you're doing in Brownsville. Thanks for joining us today and giving us uh, the latest on it. Good luck to you, my brother. My pleasure. And God bless. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Kathy Ireland is one of America's most successful self-made women, a supermodel turned supermogul. She has a new title now, Ambassador for the Visually Impaired and Blind Community. In New York alone, there are hundreds of thousands of people with blindness or low vision, and while progress is being made to improve the community's well-being, many obstacles still remain. To help, Kathy Ireland has partnered with the Foreseeable Future Foundation, a leading national nonprofit that's aided thousands through awareness events and funding athletic endeavors. The organization was started by Griffin Pinkow, whose perseverance through the struggle of slowly losing his sight has inspired many. Foreseeable Future recently honored Kathy Ireland at its Seeing Past Sight Gala. And we're delighted to have both Kathy Ireland and Griffin Pinkow joining us now to talk about this. Welcome to both of you. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, Griffin, let me start with you, if I can, because I I think it's important to set the stage for our conversation and to understand what you're doing and what Kathy's going to be doing with you. And and that's for you to tell your own story. Briefly give us a sense of of how you first discovered that you were losing your sight and, and what you did about it immediately. Sure, Jack. So it's kind of interesting. I learned about my visual loss and challenge from when I was a kid. I made the travel baseball team when my family and I moved to California and I was in the outfield. And one day the ball would be going one way and I'd be running another way. And that was our first instance to there's something going on here. There's something wrong with Griffin. I couldn't see the ball in the sky. I couldn't track it. And after doctors and doctors We finally went back to my ophthalmologist in Princeton, New Jersey, where I'm originally from. And she said, I think I see some pigment on the retina. Well, what does that mean? We didn't know as a family. And about three months, four months later, I was diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa, which is a retinal degenerative disease that my parents had to sit me down and say to their 11-year-old son, you're going to lose your vision. We don't know how much and when, but you're going to go blind. And 
that's going to affect the rest of your life moving forward. And at, at that time, I don't know if I really understood the severity of what was going on, or it was just my mentality, how I've always been that, um, you know, it, it, it didn't really hit home that much because I thought, well, I'm going to have to change some things that I do, but I'm still Griffin. I'm still, you know, 11, 12 year old kid. And just processing that I think was challenging. But then once I was able to understand it a little bit better, I realized that it, it's nothing that I can control. So why would I have a pity party for myself as silly as that sounds? But I just, I just kept moving forward the best I could at that time. So that's, that's how we actually found about out, found out about my visual impairment and that there was a challenge and that the rest of my life was going to be altered in, in some way. I'm going to come back to you in a moment, talk a little bit about that journey, especially through college, and then what you're doing now, how active you are in so many activities that you're yes. doing. But Kathy, let me ask you this question. And I mentioned in the introduction that now you're an ambassador for the foundation. You ha have had extraordinary success in your life in so many different dimensions. And you have given so much of your time and energy and effort and resources to various causes. And I'm sure there are an awful lot that are reaching out for your attention. Why then did this organization and their journey and what they're trying to do, why did it become so significant to you that you said, okay, this is one of the ones that I want to be connected with? Uh, thank you so much for asking that question. Uh, Griffith is my hero. I mean, his his story is so powerful. And my goodness, the the strength and the courage and the fact that even at that tender young age of 11, the fact that this did not uh, defeat him, that he is a, a man who is in solution mode and continues to be. And I just find that strength and joy so contagious. And what an amazing foundation that he has begun with Foreseeable Future Foundation and attracting incredible people who come alongside and support, including Lisa Bachner, amazing, uh, another hero. And this is something I believe in. Uh, throughout my life, I've had people I love dearly uh, with visual impairments. Uh, my dad and Aunt Dorothy, both lived with macular degeneration. I'm one of the co-founders of a startup pre-K through college, Christian College Preparatory School. And our board of directors hired a man, Dr. David Winter, who was a college professor in retirement, and he was legally blind. We hired him to be head of school. And like Griffith, this man had such extraordinary vision. And and I see that in uh, in this young leader of Foreseeable Future Foundation, it is absolutely extraordinary what he is doing for people around the world who are dealing with any kind of vision loss. The 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 solutions that he brings, the encouragement, it's absolutely empowering. Yeah, Griffin, back to you for a, a second, and sure. I, I I will ask you about uh, about your journey especially yes. through college and and people should know now you have run marathons you are are training at the highest level for tandem yes. cycling but let's go back to the foundation yes and and how it came about and why it came about and 
what you're hoping it can do for others. Right. Well, it's interesting. So I was involved in some other organizations and they're fantastic and they're, they're research based. And, you know, the, the end goal is to find a cure, right? You know, for myself and many others dealing with these visual impairments and blindness. But at a younger age in those college years, I thought, well, what is going on now that can help these, you know, these people and young adults and kids and just the community an opportunity to do something now between however old, how, however old they are and when hopefully in the future they can actually have vision and have vision restored. And from those experiences, seeing that there wasn't much going on in that intermediate that if there's a cure in 10, 15, 20 years, that's fantastic. But I want to help people now and help them in their day-to-day life. So that was kind of the catalyst for wanting to do something and then trying to just figure out, well, I know I want to help the visually impaired and blind community because I'm a part of it. And I thought, well, sports is so near and dear to my heart. That can be something that we can grow upon and athletes just don't do their sport. There's so much you get out of it. The team environment, the the time management perspective, uh, the the interpersonal communication skills, the accountability, the leadership, that everything that you can get from being involved in sports and recreation and also educating people and bringing awareness to adaptive sports, visual impairments and blindness and what people can do, even dealing with a challenge. So that's kind of how it started and we've been able to grow it over the the past few years and now we're we're actually expanding and seeing how we can help the individual as a whole so still focus with the sports and recreation component where we help fund organizations and individuals all over the country to be able to achieve their athletic endeavors but also see what we can do more on the recreation side so we started a ranch program which we're doing in eight different states this year We started an advocacy curriculum for people. We're doing a few other programs as well, such as a literacy program in in Massachusetts. So we're really expanding and and hoping to change the stigma and break down the barriers between the sighted community and the visually impaired, because we're all all just people. And it's okay to ask someone, you know, if they need help or if they don't, Mm -hmm. and whether that's through doing a sport, doing some recreation, or just doing a daily function. So... That's where I see it growing and being able to expand and and help in those ways. Kathy, as you know, there can be very positive powers attached to celebrity if they're utilized in the right way. And and one of them certainly can be awareness. If people, they recognize Kathy Ireland and, and they know what you've done and the successes you've had in your life. And the, the hope is they would pay attention to you. So in that regard and becoming and, and agreeing to become an ambassador here for the foundation, what is your hope that you can do for those things that Griffin just mentioned, o- awareness, breaking down stigmas, uh, making people more comfortable? What do you hope that you can do? Oh, my goodness. Thank you. Uh, my hope is to do whatever I can do to expand Griffin's great work and this vision that he has that is already just changing lives in such powerful ways. And so as a business person, as an entrepreneur, I see the the entrepreneurial spirit in Griffin and he is his business savvy and how he is taking those skills 
that brilliance that he has, and he is pouring it into this foundation that is having such an impact. So my hope is that we bring more awareness and that foreseeable future foundation that it will scale and continue to scale to be all that it needs to be to reach people everywhere. Um, it is, it's, it's heartbreaking to recognize that there are people who are feeling isolated, that they're feeling that because of what they're going through with their vision, that they're not able to participate in a way that they would like to. So Griffin is a wonderful disruptor in just showing what people can do and making it possible. And, and that's powerful. Griffin, I'm going to give you the last word here. I got about a minute or so left, but um, I, 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 in looking at, at, at your biography, I was struck by the fact that it, it was in college that you were struggling to get comfortable yes. with, with this yourself. What message would you give to people who, who might be listening to our conversation here and the message you give to others about the importance of them getting comfortable with their condition so they can move forward? I think, Jack, at least what uh, I would tell 11 or 12-year-old Griffin or even Griffin in college is accept it sooner because if I did that, it probably would have been easier for myself to just say, okay, this is something that I can't fully control. So I can control my health. I can control my, my attitude. I can change the perspective of my peers of what someone with a visual, imp visual impairment or blindness can do. So I, I think that's the big piece, really, for in, the individual to be more comfortable is just if you can, it's different person to person, but accept it and 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 own it and just think of it as a part of who you are. It doesn't define you. It's just a part of who you are. And whether that someone views that as good as bad, well, that's that's up. You know, that's that's their opinion. But as soon as I was viewing it in that way, it gave me the opportunity to be open to sharing and, and telling people what my visual impairment was and right. saying that I do need more help and, and just everything kind of opened up from there um, in, in that light and just giving people the opportunity to show that I was comfortable with it. So then it was easier for them to be comfortable and ask me questions or ask if I needed help. And then they would tell me, uh, hey, I was on the train the other day and I saw someone with a cane. And mm -hmm. I asked if they needed help and they, they said right. yes. And I didn't realize that I took them back to their house. That was two hours away from where I was going, but I noticed it. I was more aware and I got to help them. So I guess, Jack, if I had to share one piece of advice or information or for people to um, digest, I, I think that would be the message. Thanks for tuning in to MetroFocus. You can take our award-winning program with you wherever you go with MetroFocus, the podcast. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. Or simply ask your smart speaker to play MetroFocus, the podcast. Also available at MetroFocus.org, WLIW.org slash radio, and on the NPR One app.